If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program starting this June. I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Elizabeth Daly and Ed Steger back. Uh, Elizabeth is an SLP who received her master's in communication sciences and disorders from the University of Wisconsin. She's the vice president for E2 Scientific Corp. She guides the clinical practices, documentation, and education process for tongueometer to the SLP and patient communities. In addition to currently working in the acute care setting, Elizabeth is also the executive director for the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders. Ed Steaker is a five-time head and neck cancer survivor. The effects of surgery, radiation, and years of toxic chemotherapy resulted in his diagnosis of severe dysphagia in 2007. His last normal meal was in 2006. He was elected president of the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders in 2012 and has worked tirelessly to raise dysphagia awareness, advance swallowing disorder education, promote research, and provide patient support. He designed the product, the tongueometer, and had a major role in prototype production using the latest technologies. Prior to his head and neck cancer diagnosis in 2005, Ed spent almost 30 years in the industry as a management consultant and has a master's degree from Carnegie Mellon University. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I always love speaking with both Elizabeth and Ed and hope you hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good afternoon, Elizabeth and Ed. I'm so happy that you both are back to join us again. Thanks for having us. We appreciate the opportunity to come back. Yeah. 
So last time Elizabeth and Ed were on, we were just trying to figure out what it was a couple of years ago, and they had just launched the tongometer to Android devices and had not even been on to iOS yet. So obviously a few years have passed. The tongometer has helped lots and lots and lots of patients. It's gained a lot of popularity and, you know, now they're getting some publications about it and some real world data. And so I invited them to come back because I, yeah, catch us up to speed. So I guess if, before I get into it, if people don't know who you are, Elizabeth, if you want to introduce yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. My name is Elizabeth Daly. I'm a speech pathologist. I practice in acute care in Madison, Wisconsin. And then Outside of my role at the hospital, I'm also the vice president of E2 Scientific, which is the company that has created the tongometer device, which is what we're here to talk about today. And we appreciate that opportunity. And then also I serve as the executive director for the National Foundation of Swallowing Disorders, which is a patient advocacy nonprofit. And that is how I actually met Ed Steger, who's here with me today. And I'll let him introduce himself. Um, uh, Ed Steger. I'm a head and neck cancer survivor diagnosed in 2005. I went through intense treatment for about two and a half years and have had uh, no evidence of disease uh, since 2007. Uh, as Elizabeth Sam created the tonometer to help those with swallowing and speech deficiencies uh, due to a weak time. And we really appreciate being here with you today. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, thank you for joining us. I always always appreciate having you on here. So, all right. So I gave a little, little overview of what we're going to talk about today. You want to dive in, Elizabeth? Sure. Yeah, since we were last year, we were just talking about the dates. We have some updates to the tongometer device. So I think when we were here last, we only had a version that worked with Android phones and tablets. And since then, we've come out with a new version of the tongometer, which I think we released in 2021. And this new version, it connects with Android devices and iOS. So if you have an iPhone or an iPad, it also is compatible with that. It also eliminates the need to connect a cable directly to the phone or tablet, which is a nice feature. So it pairs through Bluetooth. And we found that the connection through Bluetooth is much more stable than using the cable, where the cables would get wiggly and then the connection would fail. Um, And so with the Bluetooth connection, we found that the devices are working much better. With that, the tongometer device, it's a handheld lingual manometer, so it's measuring tongue strength. It can measure tongue endurance. You can also use it to measure lip strength and lip endurance. And then it pairs to a free app that you can download. You don't have to purchase a device in order to download the app. So if anybody's listening, you're welcome to download the app while you listen to this podcast. But the app itself, it's free. It has two modules that you can use to assess maximum strength and maximum endurance. And then it has two modules that you can use to exercise the tongue. So to try to increase tongue strength and increase tongue endurance. The nice part about the app um, is that it stores all of your exercise and assessment data. And then you can send that if you choose to remotely to your clinician through email or through other applications like Dropbox, um, whatever's on your phone or tablet for sending it that way. So that's a, a nice feature. Patients can look at how they've been doing for their exercises. There's a nice patient view so they can see how they've performed for the day or the week or the month or even the year with that. So that's just a a quick overview of the device. I'm happy to answer any questions. One of the biggest questions we get is how is this similar to other devices that are available? 
And that's a, a great question. The biggest difference, and I think the most commonly known device is the IOP device, another lingual manometer that's been on the market for a lot longer than the tongometer. The biggest difference between those two devices, one is the bulb. So our bulb is a bit different to the IOP bulb where it has a texture to it um, and it's a bit more rounded towards the end. Our reason when we produced the bulb to add those kind of the bumps on to the bulb was to reduce slipping in the oral cavity and to provide a little extra sensory feedback to the bulb with that. It also, so the tubing of the bulb goes through a lip guard. And the reason for that, there's kind of two reasons. One is so that you're not placing the bulb so far back in the oral cavity. So it stays tightly in place. So you're also placing it in the same place in the oral cavity each time. So if you want to exercise a specific spot or at a specific depth, that way the patient doesn't have to remember or try to be exact when placing the bulb in their mouth because that lip guard is holding the tubing in place with that. The other big difference is the cost. So when we came to market, the whole purpose of producing the tongometer device was to provide a device that was affordable. So as a clinician, I was a new clinician when we started producing this. Cost was a barrier to getting new technologies into our our practice. And then from Ed's perspective, and Ed, you're welcome to elaborate on that. From the patient perspective, cost is a barrier to purchasing a lot of these devices too. And so we've really tried to work hard to keep the cost as low as possible. It's hard in this economy. Prices are going up. We've done the best we can with trying to keep costs low to consumers for both clinicians and for patients that are purchasing devices like this. Anything to add to that? Cost was a uh, huge driver for us. And the use of this type of device showed so much benefit, but the devices on the market were priced in the two to four thousand dollar range. We really wanted to deliver a product that was that ended up being about one eighth the cost of products on the market. That seems to be reasonable price point for many patients. And maybe we can circle back and talk about insurance coverage a little later. I think some other enhancements since we were last on the podcast. So one is the the change. So now it's Bluetooth to iOS and Android compatible. We've also added some extra biofeedback capabilities. So the device on the app, there's this visual biofeedback using a meter that you can see, which is great for providing that visual biofeedback. But we've also added two extra features that you can turn on. There's an optional setting for these. One is an auditory feedback. So you'll hear an auditory signal, kind of a high-pitched ping each time you hit a successful repetition. And then if you're using a device that's capable of tactile feedback, so a vibration feature, you can turn that on too. Nice for patients that are using the device that may have visual impairments or for those that just benefit from that extra type of biofeedback when using the device. And one other enhancement, and this was based on uh, feedback primarily from the research community, was frequency of polling the pressure data. And so about nine months ago, we increased that frequency fivefold so that there's a noticeable difference in the responsiveness to to the bulb and time pressure. And that has been um, received uh, well by the community. 
you know, obviously I love all things business and, and industry and things like that. And, and I love that you guys just are constantly adapting and improving and, you know, finding what works for patients and, and implementing those. So I, I love that. Thank you. All right. So do you want to talk a little bit about sort of the latest publication you guys are featured in? I would love to dive into that. Sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to talk about that. There's two publications that have come out over the summer. Um, I'll start with the first one and then I'll, I'll jump into the second one too, but stop me if you have questions along the way. So the two studies that have come out that feature the tongometer are looking at the concurrent validity between the tongometer device and the IOB. So comparing the agreement between the two devices, because that's something that hasn't been established yet in the literature, and that is important to be established if we're using a device like this to help work with patients that have um, reduced tongue strength. So the first one comes out of Dr. Ashwini McDonald's lab, completed by one of her master's students, I believe, Tasha Gibbons. But what they're doing is comparing the validity, finding comparative reference values for the tongometer device, comparing that to the IOP. And so the study itself had three different aims. The first one, to look at the validity between the two devices. And the second one was to collect some comparative reference values, looking at anterior, posterior, and swallowing swallow measures with that. And then the last aim that they had in their study was to take a look at the associations between age and sex using the tongometer device and then compare that to the existing trends in the literature. This publication was published through ASHA Perspective. So I believe you have to be an ASHA member in order to access this. But if there's anybody who's listening that would like access to that, I'm sure that the authors would be happy to connect with you through email and I'm happy to provide that information to you. But what the the results of this showed was that there's a statistically significant positive correlation between the two devices for anterior, posterior, and saliva swallow pressures. The mean max, so if you're looking at reference values, so the mean max anterior pressure was 51 kilopascals for the tongometer, 52 for the IOB, so very similar with that. There are some differences with the posterior and the saliva swallow pressure measures between the two devices. They suggest some reasons for that in their paper, potentially related to how the manometer measures pressure itself or towards the bulb. There are differences in the bulb between the two devices, so it could be related to that as well. But overall, the results of this study showed that the tongometer could be used as a valid tool for measuring tongue pressure and that the trends are consistent. So they found that there's a negative correlation between age and anterior tongue strength, which was expected using the tongometer device, as that's been shown widely in the literature. There's no statistically significant relationship between sex and tongue pressure, which is also consistent with findings in the literature. So that's kind of a, a quick synopsis of that first publication that came out. And then there is another one that came out shortly after that from James Curtis's lab. And I'll kind of go through that if that's okay, but stop me if you have questions. So this one is different to the first publication. They're both looking at concurrent validity, but James Curtis's study does his experiments in a lab setting. So it removes this human element from the, the picture. And the reason that that can be important is because we know that Humans are inherently variable in their performance of anything, especially movement tasks. And so while a randomized study might mitigate that, you still can't necessarily rule that out. So anyway, his study was performed in a lab setting, and he did three different experiments to compare the two devices, so the IOP and the tongometer. The first experiment compared the full setup. So he had the full setup of the IOP device and the full setup of the tongometer, and then measured that 
I'm going to try to do my best to describe how he did this. So connecting the devices to their manometers, the bulbs in the manometer, and then placing the bulb on a scale, putting a quarter on top of the bulb, and then pressing down until a certain weight was achieved on the scale, and then taking a look at what that manometer was recording in terms of pressure. And both devices measure in kilopascals. So that's my understanding of the first experiment that he conducted. And then the second one takes a look. It's comparing the two different bulbs, so the IOP and the tungometer bulbs. And for that, my understanding is that he placed an IOP bulb on the IOP and an IOP bulb on the tungometer, and then vice versa, where he placed an I- a tungometer bulb on the IOP and a tungometer bulb on the tungometer, and then completed the experiment similar to how the setup was in the first one. And then experiment three, they compared manometers, so removing the bulbs from the equation and taking a look at how the manometers are measuring pressure with that. And so to kind of go through the results here quickly, this study is open access through James Curtis's website. So if you're interested in reading through that, it's available online that way. It was published in the Loringoscope as well. But from experiment one, where they're comparing the full setup of the two devices, the tungometer pressure readings, the median of 2.4 kilopascals, I believe, was lower than the IOP reading. So the tungometer was low, measuring slightly lower than the IOP, but by about two and a half kilopascals, so not a significant amount. 96% of those data points were in agreement. So there was pretty high agreement there. And so overall, the conclusion was that There was a substantial level of concurrent validity between the two devices with the full setup, although not perfect. With that, there are some disagreements. So with the low pressure ranges, they kind of concluded that the lower ranges, the differences could be related to differences in the manometer, whereas the higher pressure differences that they noticed could be related to differences in the bulb. But overall, the study concluded and supported the use of the tungometer in clinical practice as a low-cost alternative but suggested that maybe there should be a correction factor that's considered when looking at the two measurements for the devices. So if you're using the tungometer device, perhaps there's a correction factor that you would use then to compare that to what the IOP reading would be. And there are well-established references, reference values using the IOP. And you can find that on the IOP website. So that's a lot of information. I hope what I said was accurate, and I would welcome a conversation with the the authors if they ever want to be on your podcast here. I'm inviting people to your show for you to explain their research better than I can. I'm a clinician. I am from outside of the research world, but that was my impression of that. So Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I love that, Elizabeth. Thank you. Some real fun, nerdy science in there. So yeah, fun. Awesome. And we we are aware of other studies that are going on using the tungometer device, other publications waiting to be published on our website. We have an FAQ page. So as publications become available, we make that, we hyperlink. Cool. So that you can find that easily. Awesome. Yes. And thank you to Dr. James Curtis for having his article open access as well. So I definitely want to go check that out some more. That sounds like some really, really fun experiments that he had. So cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have anything to add there, Ed? Uh, no, I think Elizabeth really uh, dived into the uh, results of those studies. I very much appreciate the PIs and the um, folks uh, performing that uh, validity uh, validation. All right, so let's let's switch gears a little bit here. So you guys had mentioned that there's a few different 
patient populations that are be- the tongueometer is becoming more popular with, if you want to dive into that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, I'll get started here and Ed, jump in anytime. The biggest populations that we see using the tongueometer device, head and neck cancer patients, patients recovering from stroke. There are also patients with neurodegenerative disease using the device, either prophylactically or more as a maintenance program. But then some other populations that have started using the device that we have noticed or that people have been emailing us about um, are patients with obstructive sleep apnea is another population. And there's more research coming out about that. But certainly the tongueometer could be used to try to strengthen the tongue, which may impact sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, where those tissues are collapsing when you're asleep to try to kind of tone up the tongue. And then we know that there's a large population, especially in the United States, of people with obstructive sleep apnea. The device is also being used in the pediatric population as well. Um, and that's a population that I'm less familiar working with, but there are oral myofunctional therapists that are using the device with their their pediatric population. The, the bigger new areas yeah. that are explored. Has there been any any research done with the pediatric populations so far? Not using the tongometer device that I'm aware of. I do know that there are some studies that have used the IOP device with pediatric populations. Cool. But if anybody's ever interested in doing research, um, we'd be happy to be a listening ear uh, to help. We We certainly don't guide research studies, but we're happy to give input and explain how the tongometer could potentially be used in that. And we love hearing about what people are doing in their research. So if there are people, they're, they're very well, maybe people using the tongometer as part of their research that we're just not aware of. So we're always happy to hear if anybody wants to contact us. Yeah, cool. Ed, anything to add on to that? What we're seeing is something that I consider uh, the New Year's resolution effect. And so we're seeing heavy usage for uh, one to two months and then moderate usage, and then it kind of levels off to a lower usage going forward. Uh, just like your New Year's resolution to join a gym, you have, you're excited in the first quarter, the second quarter it falls off, and the third quarter you set to start thinking about next year's New Year's resolution. For uh, patients who get the most benefit of the telemetry, it's good to get into a routine for the continued tongue strengthening. There is a data report that the patient can share with their therapist, uh, and the therapist can generate a free dashboard report. And to me, this creates a perfect touch point between the therapist and the patient. And with the... uh, there are some relatively new remote therapeutic uh, monitoring billing codes. So uh, there is a way for clinicians to uh, reimburse for the time they monitor usage and touching base uh, with that patient 
either via phone call or a video chat. And I think of it like a workout buddy. So it's something that we try to encourage those that are working with patients to take advantage of. Yeah, I have two thoughts here. Have you guys considered any any sort of like gamification of the app? Like I have this workout app that I pay a really ridiculous amount of money for, but I don't want to give it up because it like every time I work out, it says like, you know, you're on a streak of this many days or like you hit this high, you know, weight or something like that. Like I'm just thinking for something like this, like it seems like so silly, but like, you know, obviously there's lots of research to support like, the habit forming, you know, usage of things like that. So like you said, Ed, with the New Year's Eve effect, you have people falling off after a couple months and wondering if something like that would help to keep them going, you know, long term. I have a, a couple ideas for some app modifications and improvements where it is almost game based. Um, I would call it more maybe skill based exercise where the targets so you can adjust the exercise targets when you're using the app, but having those randomly adjust on their own. So for example, the first time you press, you have to get it to 10 kilopascals and then it switches to 20 kilopascals um, where you're trying to target different pressure ranges. And I don't know necessarily if research would show that that's beneficial, but that's certainly something or a way that you could kind of gamify the app with that. And I think perhaps that would be motivating both for the pediatric population, but also for adults. Um, and I think that's very generous, Ed, for you to say that I went to the gym for a whole quarter <laughs> after the <new> year. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, certainly that's something that we could consider is making this more of a, a game, having an option, an extra module. Yeah, yeah. And talk a little bit more about that insurance, that reimbursement piece, if you can, What if you can share sort of what the specific codes or what that looks like for clinicians to be able to capture reimbursement for that. Uh, um, Elizabeth, do you have the codes handy? I do have some of the, the billing codes that could potentially be used for that. Do you want me to kind of go through what some of the? Yeah, if you can. Yeah, I think that'd be very helpful. And I'm not a billing expert, so I don't want to come across as that, but there are some codes, some newer codes, and then some codes that I'm sure most clinicians are familiar with who treat patients that have dysphagia. But if you're using the the tongometer as part of a clinical evaluation, certainly you could include that as part of the 92610 code for the clinical swallow eval. And then for treatment, you don't have to use the tongometer device in order to build this, the dysphagia treatment code, but the 92526 is just the general dysphagia treatment code. You could also potentially add on biofeedback training and the code for that, the CPT code is 90901. So that's a biofeedback training code. My knowledge, the best of my knowledge, I don't know of anybody who has used the tongometer and used these codes either successfully or unsuccessfully to get reimbursement, but they do seem like codes that potentially could be used. And then these remote therapeutic monitoring codes, there's an initial setup CPT code, which is 98975. And you can find this information on the ASHA website. But there's an initial setup code, so that's when you're doing the education and the training, teaching the patient how to use a device that would be considered a remote therapeutic monitoring device, which our understanding is, is that the tongometer could be used as such. And then you can also, there's a 98977, which is a monthly data transmission code. And so clinicians could use that once every 30 days. 
as long as the device is being used by the patient at least 16 times a month. I'm not certain whether that means, you know, if you're using it three times a day, that would count as three of those 16 times, or if it means 16 days of that month. So something to look into there with that code. And then there's treatment management, remote therapeutic monitoring codes. So 98980 is one of those, and that can be used once every calendar month. And it does require, kind of as I mentioned before, an interactive communication with the patient. So whether that's a phone call or a video call, you do have to communicate with the patient after having reviewed their their data transmission is my understanding of that. But again, there's information on ASHA and you can also search, do a website search for those codes to get more information on that. Yeah, awesome. And just just a disclaimer for those of you, if you're not sure if those codes will or will not work for you, reach out to your local MAC or Medicare administrator to see, you know, if those codes are recognized or not. So absolutely. Please do that before. Yes. <laughs> but that is that is great because some of those codes I had never heard of before, Elizabeth. So thank you for sharing about those. Yeah. And we would welcome any feedback if there are clinicians that are using those codes, particularly with the tongometer device. I work with some clinicians who have used those codes successfully for other similar remote monitoring devices like the mobility, the SEMG device. Oh, yeah. Um, so they have been used by SLPs successfully, but I just don't, I'm not aware of anyone who's used them with a tongometer device. Yeah, cool. While we're on the subject of insurance, we did go through a, an initiative in 2022 where we did apply for a reimbursement code with CMS. It was initially denied. We appealed, we presented in a public uh, forum, and our appeal was unsuccessful. So although we kept the price as low as we can, we are still pursuing uh, reimbursement through insurance, but it's a long process. Every cycle is about a year. And so for those of you that might be curious, we are working on it, um, but please don't hold your breath. Yeah, well, thank you for even attempting that because I know I've heard that that process is just absolutely brutal and grueling. So on behalf of patients and SLPs everywhere, thank you for taking a good old college try at that. (laughs) And we are aware, I I believe Waller Strong uh, attempted this six times. Yeah. <laughs> and it was never approved. So, so we'll keep trying on behalf of clinicians and patients. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, you guys. I think we covered everything you wanted to cover. Was there any anything else we left off? Any final thoughts you'd like to share? One thing that popped into my head when we were talking about insurance was that we have expanded internationally since we last spoke. Um, So the device is now, through the help of our distributor, Cranio Rehab, available in Canada and another distributor in Mexico. Cranio Rehab is also working to expand more broadly internationally. So if you live in an area outside of the United States, Canada, or Mexico and are interested in the device, I would recommend starting with them, contacting them to see if the device is available in your area. Um, and we're happy to help connect you too. So feel free to reach out to us. 
and we'll get you in touch with them if there are international listeners interested in acquiring a device. Awesome. Love that. Love hearing all the progress you guys have made. This is so exciting. We hit a milestone in June that feels worth sharing. We now have well over a thousand devices on the market. Given that we came out after the pandemic, we're very uh, proud of that. There's good uptake and we're looking to uh, accelerate that. Good. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I love love hearing that. Congrats, you guys, for all of your hard work on this. Yep. All right. Any final thoughts, Elizabeth? No, thank you for having us on. I appreciate the opportunity to share more. This has been a passion project for us that's become a reality in a, in a business. It's been a great learning experience. Somebody who started as just a, a clinical SLP who thought the only thing I would ever do is work in a, a hospital, perhaps. Um, this has opened my eyes to other possibilities of really interesting things that you can do. So, Yeah, I love that. Thank you for sharing that piece. I think there's so many SLPs that are like, oh, I just wish we could create this or I just wish this was out there. And I just I just tell so many people, just go do the thing then. Yes, it's hard. Yes, you'll learn a whole ton in the meantime. But yeah, if it's it's an idea you want to do, go do it. So awesome. Love that for you guys. So again, thank you so much, Ed and Elizabeth, for coming on and and best of luck and hope everybody checks out the latest publications on the Tongueometer and check out the Tongueometer too. Thank you. All right. Yeah. uh, Thank you so much for having us on. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Ed. Always enjoy talking with you. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.